Welcome to the iMatter Podcast, future-proof your business, career, teams, and organization. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira. Welcome to the iMatter Podcast. Well, it's May already. A year's well underway, and I've definitely got right into the speaking and travel again. Uh, recent trips to Melbourne and Wellington for conferences, and I've got coming trips this month to Melbourne again and to Sydney. And I also spoke to audiences in London and South Africa last month, and that was virtual through Skype and webinars. And whichever method I use, whenever I talk to leaders, I find that more and more of them just realize that the old way of doing things just isn't working anymore. And this is not just about old technology or even old people. It's about old ways of looking at your organization and the relationships that you have with people in your network. And that's why this episode of the podcast is about the networked organization. So let me explain what I mean by that. If you think about most traditional organizations, they operate and they're driven by two hierarchies. The management hierarchy, and that's usually represented by an organizational chart, and the sales hierarchy, which is represented by something which is often called the sales funnel. And these two structures are the backbone of the traditional organization. So internally, your organization is arranged by the management hierarchy, and externally, Externally by the sales hierarchy. And even organizations that don't sell still have external stakeholders. For example, if you work in local government, then your council's residents are your customers. So these hierarchies still exist in most organizations, but there are also many other influential people outside those hierarchies. For example, in the past, the people who are your most passionate and loyal advocates were probably your long-term customers. And now, that might still be true, but these are necessarily the only people who might passionately recommend you. Think about the manager of an online forum who's never bought from you, but continues to recommend you. Or the team member who loves her work so much that she tells everybody to buy your products, even if she's never bought them yourself. Or the guest who visited your hotel once but had such a great experience that he tells everybody about it. Or the former employee who left for personal reasons but loved working for you so much that they rave about you to everybody that you meet. So these are the sort of people who might not be repeat customers or may not be customers at all, but they're all still an influential part of your network. And you might say that these are the exceptions and that used to be the case, but it just isn't anymore. So that forum manager or enthusiastic team member, that delighted guest, the former employee, they now have greater influence than ever before, so you can't just treat them as outliers, as statistical anomalies. Your success today is not just about management and customers, it's about your entire network. And not just the network as a whole, but a few key individuals inside that network. Now, Ken and Peter Everett, through their business End-to-End, which stands for Network to Network, are experts in this area, and that's why I'm thrilled to be sharing an interview with them today. So let's join the conversation now. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira. I'm speaking today with Ken and Peter Everett and they're founders of End-to-End Hub and, and they're passionate advocates for the networked organization. And what it is, is like we all know that organizations are changing now and that they used to be top-down command and control hierarchies and now they're shifting to the, the more fluid and loosely connected and collaborative style. And Peter and Ken have built this second kind of organization uh, for their own business, for distributing their own training workshops, but they've also taken that to the next level and they've analyzed how to create create, nurture, and grow that kind of organization. And Ken's written a great book, Designing the Network Organization. And and when I read that book, I realized that this was really the blueprint for building a modern organization. And I really compare it with, and I think it's no less important than Michael Gerber's groundbreaking book for entrepreneurs, which is the E-Myth. 
And I had a recent conversation with Peter where he remarked that one of the things that they do is that they bring smart and innovative people together to collaborate, not in the sense of working together on a project, which is what collaboration usually is, but rather in helping each other out on their own projects. So it is collaboration, but on individual projects rather than joint projects. And I was kind of interested in that because it really aligns with my ideas about leveraging the power of individuals where networks are more important than teams. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So welcome, Peter and Ken. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be here again. Hi, yeah. great, to, great to see you again and be talking to you. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Um, so tell me a little bit about your backgrounds and, and really how you came to this place of championing the networked organization. Briefly, uh, I was a school teacher, uh, so I worked for the government. Then with IBM for nearly 20 years, I had corporate background. Then in small business with a company called Wilson Learning, um, but in 1991, uh, when I was aged 51, I finally went and did something I'd been itching to do for a long while, is become entrepreneurial, run my own. So I spotted a product called Think On Your Feet, and I went out on my own. Uh, I had big ambitions, uh, first to do something in every state in Australia, and then to go through Asia Pacific and maybe further ahead. Uh, the trouble was I didn't have any money, so I couldn't employ anybody. So I fell into forming relationships with people who I called members of my network uh, and started learning about this way of doing business. Uh, we eventually got to 30 countries. Necessity was the mother of invention. But along the way, uh, we learned lots of lessons. That led eventually to um, our first international meeting which I called it rather tongue-in-cheek. I remember I put my five-year-old's uh, chalkboard at the front door and said, welcome to the first international Think On Your Feet network meeting. Well, that was uh, now, what's it, 26 or 7 years ago, and we've had one a year ever since then in all over the world. So that instinct uh, did work out. Um, so that was the voyage of discovery I started. Pete, you better introduce yourself, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm an ex-corporate too. I, I worked uh, with Bankers Trust many years ago, but I, I certainly uh, didn't find their sense of purpose one that matched mine anyway. So um, I joined Ken in 1996 on a part-time basis, um, which, you know, very soon after became a full-time basis. And, and that community I was starting out with and, and helping with, and that network, if you like, is, uh, is the Think On Your Feet network. Um, and because Ken had set the foundations for it, I, I simply just embraced it. You know, I went with it, and it wasn't hard. Uh, I just found it such a, an amazing and fabulous way to, to work and to live. So, uh, so that's how I, I got into it. And now... Ken and I uh, together have, have you know, started this, this end-to-end group, which is also another networked organisation of sorts, and, and we're enjoying that immensely. And, and I didn't mention at the start that Ken and Peter are father and son, and Peter, was it, were you the five-year-old whose chalkboard Ken stole to use at the start of that no, meeting? No, that was my sister, uh, Marika. Um, there's 18 years between us, so... Um, that Mariko is is from a second marriage, and um, yeah, she's been uh, well. She's joining us at our end to end meeting in a couple of weeks' time. Interestingly enough, you know, so this family is for us actually it's it's almost an integral part of our our organisation actually. 
Okay, great. Great. I'm sure people will have some idea in their mind of what what comes to mind when they hear the phrase networked organization. But what, what's your definition of a networked organization, and particularly how is it different from you know, the traditional sort of organizations that we have now? Yeah, that, that's a tricky question to answer. Why, you know, a networked organization could be so many different things, um, and it's, it's almost indefinable. But look, in our case, it's a network of independent people and businesses who are connected by a common thread or a common purpose. So, you know, in our case, the first network organization we built, that common thread was Think on Your Feet, which is a, you know, a communication skills workshop. And, and as a network of independent people, we collaborate uh, and we compete depending on the opportunities that, that come across the table. Um, and if it helps, what we've learned, that you know, in our experience... The networked organisation has three distinguishing characteristics, I suppose. Uh, one is independence, two is community, and three is shared stuff. Ken might be able to sort of elaborate Shared that. stuff, that's pretty vague, isn't it? But yeah. I, that's as close as we can get. Let's step back for a minute. Uh, possibly the world's most significant infrastructure project was built by a network. And it's the internet. Mm, mm. And I don't mean the internet as a network. It is a network. But it's run by a network. There is a small committee which looks after the shared stuff, which is the shared protocols. Once upon a time, if you went to, to work online, depending on who your supplier was, you even had to change keyboards. And you had, you know... Uh, <laughs> And somebody said, that's pretty stupid. Let's come up with a common protocol so that you can access the IBM network, the ARPANET, whatever networks were available then. Uh, and they did. And that common set of protocols is the shared stuff that allows independent organizations, be they as big as Microsoft and Apple or smaller ones like us, to work via the Internet. So we all have independence, we have this shared stuff, whatever it is, and out of that, you know, we have a kind of a community, the online community. So I didn't know all this till much later that we shared those characteristics because I hadn't started studying this animal. Um, at our first meeting, the one where my daughter's uh, little blackboard was at the front door, uh, one of our members, Judy, who was in high tech, brought a PC along with multiple keyboards. Now, this was 1993, so you can imagine what the size of the, the PC was. <laughs> it was. It was huge. We all had independent keyboards. We sat around the table. She asked us a few questions like, what do you like? We all banged in what we liked. What don't you like? Many of the people said we don't like being managed. We called ourselves corporate refugees in those days. We were kind of, you know, early to late maturing people and we were sick of dealing with people who didn't know as much about the job as we did, many of us. Um, she, then she asked us, what do you want from uh, Ken Everett and uh, Think on Your Feet and what are you prepared to offer back to them? And then we all went off to, to the local pub and had a few drinks and enjoyed and reminiscing about our day together. When I got out the data, though, six weeks later, and I looked at it, it hit me. It hit me with a, with a real force. It was there. 
What people wanted was they wanted their freedom, their autonomy, their independence. But they also wanted to be part of something. Now, there's an apparent paradox. How do you resolve it? Well, our job became resolving it, and it's caring for the shared stuff, just as in the Internet. When that's cared for, stuff works. So we set out to give people more independence than they could possibly imagine, more community than they could get elsewhere, and we protected and cared for the shared stuff. So um, now that's very different from a traditional organisation. Words, you know, if you look at the the language of a traditional organisation, there are fossil words all over the place in it that tell you its origins. You know, organisations, traditional organisations have chief executive officers. Where did officer come from? The military, of course. Um, if you join one, you know, you, you, you're recruited, you're trained, uh, you're assigned, you are promoted, you're retired or fired. These are all military words. And the modern organisation is in many ways a shot offshoot uh, of the military or built on a copy of, of, the, of the military. Um, and so we had to find new language, new actions and new ways to, uh, to, uh, to behave with each other. The most important was that these people were not employees. We were not in a vertical relationship, a manager-employee relationship. We called ourselves the hub. We called them affiliates, but it was a more horizontal relationship. And I think that's the key, isn't it, Ken? And from what both you and Peter have said, the, the key difference between that traditional organization and this idea of the networked organization is that idea that is horizontal rather than vertical and community rather than hierarchy. Because I can imagine even things like network marketing groups, which have a much looser uh, hierarchy, still do have that hierarchy. And it is still more like that traditional organization, even if there is a little bit more independence in there and uh, a little bit more flexibility. Thanks for bringing it up because sometimes that causes a confusion with people. Yes, the networked organisation is built, as I understand it, on the basis that the aim for people is to get higher in the network hierarchy. We don't have that. We have a very flat one-level network, all right? So there's us and then the people we work with and through in other countries, um, in the 30 countries we eventually got to. They may be individuals. They may be some of them are similar uh, kind of traditional organisations in a way. Our partner in China has 180 employees, for example. But uh, they can be all of these things, uh, and uh, as you're, you're right, it's very flat and uh, uh, it's not like a traditional organisation. Okay, so, so we know it's not like that traditional corporate structure or network marketing structure. So we know what the differences are. Why do you think that's so important now? Why do we need these sort of networked organisations now and uh, tomorrow and in the future? Because they're fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I agree with that, Peter, because I I run one of those. I'm involved in a number of them. So I agree with that. Um, What else? But look, I mean, and fun is undervalued. I mean, really. (laughs) And thank you for recognising that. Networked organisations, they're adaptive. You know, they're quick to change. Um, and they're very natural in, in, in many ways and uh, a bit like an ecosystem. They're also kind of unpredictable, and I love that too, mm-hmm. uh, not knowing what might happen next. I think it brings uh, an interest to my day every day, you know, when I go to work. But, you know, if you stop and think about it, they're good for both 
the individual and they're good for business. Yeah. So, I mean, Ken and I are big fans of, of uh, Dan Pink's stuff in his book, mm-hmm. Drive, uh, you know, where he talks about, you know, those individuals who are turned on at work or who are driven, you know, they work with, with autonomy, mastery and purpose. Uh, I, I'm guessing you've probably heard of that, Gian. Mm, I have, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and we love the research done there and we really resonate with the kind of things that, that Dan Pink has to say. And, and all those attributes, autonomy, mastery and purpose, come very naturally for an individual working in, in a networked kind of organisation. Um, and this is kind of interesting because traditional organisations are trying very hard to implement what Mr. Pink is suggesting. Mm-hmm. And we've got it. And we're coming together in a way. There's a very interesting overlap at the, uh, at the interface uh, of learning, the learning of interface. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, well, I was just going to add for the business side of it, I mean, we've, we've discovered that a network is very resilient uh, highly innovative, and it's it's leader full. You know, the, all these things have risen to the surface in, in our experience in working with our network. So, again, these are things that corporates are looking for, um, and, and we've got innovation sometimes more than we actually want. But I'd rather have that problem than, than the other, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum. You know? um, and the resilience, you know, we we've got through, I think, five different economic, you know downturns in, in, in our life cycle so far and, and we've done very, very well through those periods and each person, each individual you know, adapts to that very, very well. And, and leader full, well leader full, we, you know, I don't know if I can give you an example there. It wasn't too long. We started running network meetings for our, our, our community and it wasn't long before they started putting their hand up and started hosting the meetings themselves. So they even took that out of our hands uh, in many ways. I mean, we help in, in the background, but they started to host it and they started to take ownership for it. And, and that's just an example, I suppose, of the kind of things that can happen in the network. Well, that's but, kind of interesting that you're talking about leadership there, Peter. Uh, I'm sure that the, the, the role of a leader must be quite different in this kind of organisation. I'd just like to ask you, like, what do you... What do you think is the is different about the leader's role in this kind of organisation? Well, the first thing is I think that in a network you can recognise that there are natural leaders for different situations. If it's leadership about, say, a, a technical issue, how to deliver a part of the workshop, some people have got the experience there and they naturally emerge. Uh, if uh, if it's leadership around our next network meeting and somebody lives in Thailand can organise a nice location for us and wants to, uh, they step forward and say, let me host the next one. We'll come and visit my, my country. Uh, leadership is not in the hands of a select few who have been promoted above all others. It's shared around and generally with people who have um, the expertise. Um, but as I said earlier, in a traditional organisation, the leader or manager has a vertical relationship with the employee. We have this horizontal relationship. Sure, we've got a contract, but otherwise people can work when and where they want, and that's unusual and very, very uh, satisfying to most people. It's up to us to now think about, well, 
what possible purpose could unite us? And we eventually decided that most of these people being independent were crafting their own lives. And our, we were doing the same thing. And so our mission or purpose, if you want to call it that, became to help our affiliates craft the lives they want. And we just use our product uh, and our offering as a way to help people do that. And that's what we finally decided was our role. And that's what anchors us. And by the way, they're very happy about that. And they don't mind when we do funny things in our life. Pete, you've got a good example of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and Ken, you know, he, he probably forgot to mention there that, you know, we, we've now long held out the leader in this kind of organisation as a host. Mm. So, and, and that came from Peter Block, I think, you know, quite a few years ago. So when, when Peter Block wrote it down like that, it resonated immediately for Ken. Uh, and, and we see ourselves as hosts. And, and when you see yourself like that, it, it's, it's very different. So we sort of host the conversations, you know, and we, 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 I suppose we're hosts to, to meaning and to ambition as well within the group. And we don't, we, well, we can't assume anything, you know, because these are all good independent people wanting to do their own things too. Uh, we just have this common and connected purpose, as I mentioned you know, very early on. And if we put our minds in the space of host, uh, not only in the day-to-day business, but also mm. when we run a meeting so that we allow the conversations that they want to have to, to arise, then it takes its natural course. And, and again, as I said earlier, it can be a little bit chaotic at times, but it's it's wonderfully innovative and it's been very, very successful for us to, to, to let it flow like that, to happen very, very naturally. I noticed you slipped in, in, in the word chaotic there, which uh, mm-hmm. comes from the founder of Visa. He founded a networked organisation, as it turned out, but chaotic stands for a combination of chaos and order. Mm. And, 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 a, and a, a good, adaptable system must be free enough to adapt. Things that are rigid uh, find it very difficult to adapt, and that's one of the big advantages of, of the right kind of network. It has this um, um, dimension of, of freedom that allows it to grow naturally in response to the environment. One of the things we discovered that, that Pete talked about those um, uh, economic crises and things, things like uh, the 1997 financial crisis in Asia, SARS, uh, 9/11, 2008, all kinds of things. These are these are other people were worrying about who to let go, who to sack. They didn't know what to do. What we all did, we found that the network just kind of adjusted. Everybody adjusted. We all went up and down like corks on the on the ocean. And when the good times came back, we were all still in existence. It was quite remarkable. Uh, we didn't have to lay anybody off. These are huge business advantages. Uh, which we had no idea of uh, when we started. Yes, and it seems to me that there was a time perhaps when that old, rigid, uh, top-down command and control organization would have worked or could have worked because there was a time when you didn't need to adapt so fast. There was a time when uh, perhaps the more senior you were within the organization based on your years of experience there, you actually did know more 
than everybody else and that other people below you were looking to you for guidance and support. Um, there was a time when everyone was kind of on the same career path, but that just doesn't happen anymore, does it? Things are changing so fast that you can't afford to be rigid um, just because you've got gray hair and uh, a better title on your business card doesn't mean that, you, that you've got greater experience than everyone else in the organization. And people do want different things. So we can't get by with that old kind of organization anymore. You're absolutely right. What we need to remind ourselves is that the way we organize to get things done as people has, has changed several times over the course of history because we started in kind of wild roaming tribal groups, you know, who were at war with their neighbors and survival, you know, all that sort of the instinct. And, and uh, strength was your, 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 your uh, qualification becoming a leader you know, until somebody else kind of uh, knifed you or shot you with <laughs> a bow and arrow for you or something. Um, and, and then, you know, the, there are other stages, the church hierarchy and all that kind of stuff. Um, the military, which was the one that was largely influenced the, uh, uh, the modern organisation, so around the time of the Industrial Revolution. More recently, we've seen organisations try to become more like families and we hear words like that and stuff like culture. The networked organisation, my point is, we tend, when we need to be careful when we talk about traditional, that we don't assume organisations haven't been changing. Mm-hmm. You're right, they are changing and they're changing more rapidly. A wonderful book by a man called Frederick Laloux called Reinventing Organisations um, is uh, charts this kind of history and talks about the next wave of organisations and that's a remarkable book, which mm-hmm. you can download, by the way, and this is an interesting innovation, from the website Reinventing Organisations, you can download it for free. Mm. As long as you accept an email from him one month later inviting you to pay whatever you thought it was worth. Peter and I both paid above the market rate for the book. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that embodies a principle as well, isn't it? doesn't it? It's not a case of him saying, okay, I know what this is worth and therefore you have to pay it up front. It's the same idea that as a leader, uh, you're not in the position of power over somebody. Uh, you're not in a position of, of authority that's positional authority. People will respect you because you are an authority and they will follow you because you've got their respect, just the same as uh, they will pay for it if they respect and value their, uh, what's in the book. You nailed it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the... the the founding tenets of working, you know, well in a network is to give first you know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and build the trust and, and build the relationship. Yeah. And that's something that you do a lot. Gideon. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Thanks. Um, so let's put some of these ideas into practice. And I'm just thinking of some scenarios of people who want to build these networked organizations. So the first one I can think of is somebody who's starting a business. So you're starting a business from the ground up. You've got a great idea, but it's just getting off the ground. It seems to me that you've got a bit of an advantage because you can choose how you're going to build or mold this organization. How do you start by building a networked organization from the ground up? Well, if you're like me, you start by tapping on the shoulder of everybody you've, uh, you know mm-hmm. and who you think might be willing to help you out at the beginning. And that's how most of us start. Uh, remember, I'm talking about the early 90s when I started this organization. Today, People will try uh, uh, more electronic networks. Um, But the key difference for us was when we stumbled across the desire for community. 
And when we brought the, the initial group of seven or eight or ten people together, it became clear that they they shared these things in common. And, and as I said earlier, our role clarified. Now, we built on that. I had an instinct there was something there, and it's turned out to be even more than I imagined. And that is different from a hub-and-spoke network, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. We now have a network with lots of people connected directly to each other. So, for example, Judy's in Sydney, Jim's in New Zealand, and Fitzy's in Melbourne. Um, Jim gets a trans-Tasman contract. He calls uh, Judy and Fitzy. They are now acting as a team, and they do it on demand as required. Right. And independent of talking to us. You know, we've got nothing to do with that at that level. Yeah. Yes. So we're saving on management overhead. We don't have any managers in our organisation. Think about that. That's If managers got the paid the, the same as employees, which they don't, that's an 11% saving overall anyway in your business costs. If you have one on 10 and 10 on 100, 11.111% recurring, I think that comes out of <laughs> It's probably double that when you add their real salaries. So we we, we got lots of efficiencies, uh, but we also got people working it out for themselves, which they're capable of doing. And look, I mean, to you know, go pointedly, I suppose, to your question, if you're thinking of starting a business, first of all, you, you do need to have a really good offering. You know, that's that has really helped us in, in creating a common connection or common purpose with, with the Think on Your Feet product, for example. Now, if you have that, then, you know, we've learned, we've looked back, and, and, and when Ken wrote his book, we, you know, realised that there were sort of three phases that we went through, and that, the first phase was to create connections, that hub-and-spoke network that mm -hmm. we talked about. So that, that's fairly traditional, actually, in many ways, to build a hub-and-spoke network. But if the relationships are horizontal, well, then you're, you're making a good start. You know? uh, that second phase for us was to, was to craft community, which Ken just mentioned. And, uh, and but then what really took off for us was, was stage three, wasn't it? Yeah, well, you know, after crafting community, after bringing our affiliates together and getting them to, to help and work with each other even without, without us knowing about it a lot of the time, which is fabulous, the real turbocharger was was what we call convening coalitions. And that's, that's an interesting choice of words, but th that's where we brought the other hubs of, of networks, the other people doing similar things to ourselves who had their own hub and spoke network, and we came together as hubs and, and decided to start helping one another and sharing ideas and tips and innovation and, and even our failures and, and learning from one another. It's been fabulous. So in case we've confused the listeners completely, here we are. Uh, we've got this product called Thing on Your Feet and we've got a network of affiliates, as we call them. Someone else has got uh, another product called, you know, a Think on Your Seat or the Herman Brain Dominance Instrument or one of these other programs, and they're doing the same thing. And we now start, we were talking informally to these hubs as well. And as Pete said, it turbocharged our business. And that has led us to stage three, which is the end-to-end. -end. That's the letter N and the numeral two, end-to-end. And uh, uh, that's been really powerful for us. In fact, we've got our fifth international meeting coming up in a few weeks' time. Uh, and people come to that 
simply with gifts of insight and gifts of questions. We don't have a particular agenda other than processes for sharing. And this has led to remarkable uh, breakthroughs for several of the members. It's an exciting uh, activity and it's certainly turbocharged our business. I think you've raised an interesting point there, Ken, and Peter, earlier when you were talking about that, that evolution going from connections to community and then convening coalitions. It seems to me that that's a little bit easier to do when you're starting a business from scratch. Uh, and I'm now thinking of the person who is maybe the business owner of an established business or maybe even senior management in a, in an organization who's got some power to change the whole organizational, I guess, strategy, culture, structure. But if you've got an established business, you've, they're, they're more rigid, aren't they? You've got relationships with suppliers, relationships with customers and clients, employee contracts, and it's almost like you've kind of created all these rigid coalitions. They're not really coalitions, and you don't really see yourself as a community. Is it possible in that situation to say, okay, I like the idea of the networked organization? Um, is it possible to actually make that happen? Yeah, Ken's got a good story about a recent trip he made to Tasmania uh, that relates to what I'm going to say here. It's this, I would say two things very early on. Is one is to stop seeing everyone as competitors, mm-hmm. in fact, internal and external. So you know, it could be other suppliers, and find ways to to see them differently as p- potential collaborators. Uh, and the second thing I would say, if you're already in an existing organisation, is just change the nature of the conversation that you have. In fact, have a conversation rather than a, uh, a directive or something similar. Rather than showing PowerPoint. Yeah, rather than <laughs> showing PowerPoint. And, and, and Ken alluded to that, you know, in, in the processes we use at our end-to-end conferences now. We did the same with our Think On Your Feet network, and that transformed us too. Uh, we, we stopped putting up an agenda per se of stuff that we wanted to, to get over there, like how to sell the product, how to deliver the product, etc. We We started using processes like open space and other things like that mm. that allowed conversations that they wanted to have come up. And, and, you know, some of the strangest things would come up and it was fabulous, you know, and some of them were very personal. They were not business-related at all. But if you're starting to interact and engage with people at that level, uh, that's when you're going to make breakthroughs um, in this kind of an organisation. At least that's our experience. Yeah. Pete mentioned I had an example from a trip to Tasmania. We were there recently and we went to wineries on the uh, uh, East Coast and I discovered that if you bought a bottle of wine at this winery, another one at a bottle of, another bottle of wine, another winery 20 kilometres down the road and so on, that at the end of your trip, when you had a dozen bottles of wine or two dozen, the winery you were then at was a member of a coalition and you could give them all the bottles of wine you'd bought and they'd ship the whole lot back to the mainland for you. And these were natural competitors who'd found a way to collaborate and just changing the language and the way you talk about each other opens up business opportunities. That's, that's one simple idea. Yeah, that's fantastic, isn't it? Because you're saying that, you know, overall, on average, everyone will end up uh, sharing that that load, because you know it'll it'll happen in different in different sequences. So everyone ends up sharing that load, but as a result of it, every customer becomes happy. And it comes out of having a different language of business. Yeah, we go back to those words I used earlier about 
military and fighting and share and targets and yeah. uh, divisions. You know, they, they're words that don't speak necessarily about collaboration and the things we've been talking about. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I mean, we've just tapped the surface, and I'm sure that anyone listening to this can tell that we've just covered the surface of, of the whole idea of the networked organization. And both both you, Ken and Pete, have some great insights and wisdom and a lot of depth to you. Um, tell me, like, what sort of people do you like to work with? Because I'm sure there are people who'd like to get in touch with you. And also, how do they get in touch with you? Can I ask specifically, are you looking for people who are business owners, um, new entrepreneurs who want to start? Are you looking for managers or leaders within organizations? Uh, are there any particular type or groups within that that you're interested in speaking with? None specifically. I mean, I'll be, be very general. I think if any of this resonates with, with people, we're, we're delighted to talk to people. As, as you can tell, I mean, Ken and I could talk for hours about this sort of stuff and, and our experiences and our and our, our um, our learnings and the reading and the research we've done, etc. But, I mean, to give you an example of the kind of people that we work with in, in our Think on Your Feet network, and, and also this kind of applies to our end-to-end community, there's three main things we look for in people, actually, and this, this might be useful to those who are trying to build uh, a networked community uh, from startup. The first thing we look for is trust, you know, in, in a relationship. So if, if we can work with someone we trust, that... that speeds up everything, all our communications, our, our, our speed to business, etc. Um, the second thing is a collaborative mindset. I mean, you've heard us talk about collaboration a lot. But, you know, that's an important tool for us or... or, or, or um, mindset? Yeah, or, or area of inquiry when we mm-hmm. talk to you know, mm-hmm. are, are they collaborative in, in their way of thinking or are they more competitive? And sometimes we can, we can bring them around. Um, and the last thing, or third thing is the business skills, you know, and they're always important. You know, can you can you sell, can you deliver in the case of our, our Think on Your Feet network? Um, but, you know, do they bring the basic skills of being able to run a business? And all three are important, trust, collaborative mindset, and business skills. But it's interesting that we, you know, why we think it's interesting, that trust is number one and collaborative mindset is number two, and the mm-hmm. business skills are actually number three for us. Which is interesting. We originally started looking for people with certain skills. Mm-hmm. We now put that last on the list. You've got to have the other stuff uh, to make the network work. And I guess the skills are things that can be more easily acquired and, and learned, can't they? Whereas having an attitude of trust or having a, a culture of trust and also having that collaborative mindset, that's not easy to learn. You can't go to an online course or go to university to learn that. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. And and this didn't pop up earlier, but, you know, if you are going down this track of thinking about a network organisation, I would say, too, that we've learned it's not for everyone. Right? Uh, you kind of either are happy to, to work in that, that sort of slightly chaotic uh, environment with those under underpinning uh, values and, and meaning, uh, and if you're not, that's cool, too. But... Um, that's just a little piece of advice I might throw out if we... Great. And you're to get in touch with us, I think, Gihan. Yeah, exactly what I was going to ask, Ken. <laughs> Mind reading, okay. Uh, there's a website, endtoendhub.com. And I said it's the letter N, it's the numeral 2. All the details for getting in touch with us are there. That's probably the easiest thing for people to remember, endtoendhub.com. Great, fantastic. And, and a small plug, you know, Ken's book can also be 
you know, connected. You can go connect to Amazon via our website to, to find Ken's book. Yeah, and I would actually add to that small plug, Peter, by saying that I, I really endorse that book for anyone who's looking at, um, you know, I think two things. So one is if you're looking to build that sort of networked organization, it's a great book to read. But also, whether or not you're looking to build one yourself, you may be an employee, you may be a manager within an organization, just read it for the principles behind it, because I really think that these are the principles that are going to drive organizations of the future. And. If there was one way to sum up what I've learned, the way you organise can be a source of significant business advantage. And we've clearly moved and are moving away from the idea there is a traditional organisation and you don't question it. Uh, And business advantage exists, significant amounts of it, if you can organise in a very smart way. Great. Thanks, Ken. Pete, do you have any last words? I just want to say thanks to you, Gihan, um, for prompting this. It's been great. A uh, nice timely reminder for us, too, about the things that, that shape us and the way we think. So it's been fabulous. And, and look, I just want to also applaud the work you do because I particularly you know, like the way you host, host uh, the e-gurus, the mastermind group, because to me that in itself is, is, is an end-to-end type collective and, uh, and it's a place where magic can happen. So thank you. Thank you, Peter. I really appreciate you taking the time to be so generous. So I appreciate that. And and to both of you for being generous for your time and your wisdom and your insights. And thanks very much. You're very welcome. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you found something valuable for your personal and professional life. And if you did get some value from it, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store. And that helps to promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, I'd love to do that. I'd love to talk to you about that. Check out my speaking topics at gihanperera.com. And while you're there, you can also find out about my mentoring program for yourself or for your teams. And I also run a membership site for leaders to help with creating an online footprint, for marketing your business, for getting things done in a chaotic world, and for delivering more magnetic messages. And you can find out more about that at gihanperera.com as well. And if you want to engage with me in other ways, again, go to gihanperera.com. You can find my blog, newsletter, podcast, videos, and webinar series. All of these are free, and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization, your team, and, of course, yourself. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. You've been listening to the iMatter Podcast. To subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit imatterpodcast.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.